as we conclude the study on the epistle of joy. Here now as God speaks to you through his inspired, inerrant, and life-giving word. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thus ends the reading of the word. Let's pray. Father, we do know that it is by the word of your power that you uphold and sustain all things, that it was by your word that you called everything into being out of nothing. And Lord, it's by your word that you have created new life in us, life eternal, life everlasting. And Lord, we do call upon you this evening to speak so powerfully again through your word that your people might be edified and built up to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I was mentioned earlier this morning, but last week, uh, Jordan, Mark, and I were at the Twin Lakes Fellowship in Jackson, Mississippi for uh, what really was a pastor's conference. It was a time of, of fellowship under the word, of hearing preaching and encouragements uh, towards faithfulness and ministry. Uh, it really is all designed to be this kind of fellowship, this collegial fraternity of pastors that we might encourage each other in the truth. Um, I was amazed by my time there. This is my second year there. Um, just how quickly some of the men I met were to encourage me in the ministry. And that it was almost just a few sentences in. They were bringing some kind of spiritual gold to bear on my life and soul. And what we find in our passage and really all the way throughout the book of Philippians and elsewhere in Paul's letters, he was a man who was quick to encourage that if you entered into a conversation with him about anything, you would find your soul edified, built up in Christ. And what he does in this letter, uh, this letter to the Philippians, is he takes what really is nothing more than a thank you letter. He writes to them, thanking them for their partnership in the faith, how they had supplied his needs in Christ Jesus, that they had given to him when no one else was to give to him. And he takes this letter and turns it into one of the richest Christological descriptions that we find in the New Testament. He takes this letter and turns it into some of the strongest exhortations towards joy and giving that we find in all of the scriptures. Paul knew how to get to the spiritual heart of the matter, and that's what he does in our text this evening. He takes a portion about 
giving thanks for their giving and turns it into something that is greatly encouraging to these saints in Macedonia. And so what we want to do this evening is first to look at his gratitude in Christ as he thanks them for their partnership with him. Uh, But he also uncovers to us in this gratitude section uh, what it really means to be a cheerful giver. And second, uh, we want to see Paul underscore the spiritual nature of their giving, and that it results in the glory of Jesus Christ. Not only is their provision an acceptable and pleasing sacrifice to God, uh, but they will also be repaid in the currency of glory in Christ Jesus. And then we want to conclude our time Uh, by examining how Paul blesses them with the grace of Jesus Christ and how it is extending into all of the corners around the world. So first, we want to look at the source of Paul's gratitude in Christ. Last week, we saw uh, Paul's secret to contentment. He knows how to be brought low. He knows how to abound in any and every circumstance, says Paul. Plenty, hunger, Abundance and need. I know how to be content, says Paul, because Christ gives him strength. It's actually quite remarkable what he said in the previous verses. And that you might even be tempted to think that Paul has a sense of stoicism to him, that he goes through life completely unaffected by what goes around him. But we understand that's not what contentment is. It's accepting the lot that God has assigned to us in life and receiving it with thanksgiving. And so Paul wants to clarify on the heels of this section what he means by his contentment and that he is grateful for their ministry to him. Paul says to the Philippians, Yes, I have learned the secret of contentment in all things. I trust in the providence of God to be what I need at every single moment of my life. But don't get me wrong, church in Philippi. What you did in coming alongside me and supplying for my needs was a great kindness to me. And we see exactly that in verse 14. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Paul understands that the Lord uses means that God provides for his people through the faithfulness of others oftentimes. The Lord's unshakable promise that the gospel will go out into the four corners of the earth and that this great commission that Jesus promised would have success. He uses means to accomplish that. The Lord uses preachers. He uses evangelists. He uses churchers, churches. And he certainly uses faithful givers who give generously to the work of the gospel. You know that word in verse 14 for share, you might have a footnote in your Bible that just simply says, or have fellowship in. It's that Greek word you might be familiar with, uh, koinonia. And the idea, of course, is that uh, they're partnering or they're experiencing alongside Paul's suffering. They feel his need. And so what Paul is saying to them is that you Philippians didn't treat me like I was a line item on a budget but you shared my trouble. You owned my trouble. My trouble became your trouble. They weren't waiting around for somebody to help out Paul in his time of need. No, they were totally bought in to what Paul was doing in this earth. 
They were sold out for the gospel, and so uh, Paul wants to commend them that they have partnered with him to the point of where they're even experiencing his pain as their own pain. And he continues to expound upon their generosity in verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. When I was a kid, um, there was a gas station uh, just a few blocks from my house, and so I had some neighbor friends, and we would often like to go to the, the corner gas station to buy a pop. And we were, you know, around eight or nine years old, and we had no num- money to our names. Um, and so what we would often do was scavenge throughout our houses for quarters. And we would begin by looking in couches. If we didn't find any quarters in couches, we would often uh, go to our parents' pants pockets to see if they had any left over from uh, previous purchases. And worst case scenario, we would end up just walking to the gas station trying to find pennies along the way. And if we didn't have enough, if we couldn't quite afford that 79-cent Diet Pepsi or whatever it was, we would ask the gas attendant, hey, will you accept 60 cents? And they often would. (laughs) But what we see happening among the Philippians is this kind of generosity where they're, they're pulling together all of their resources that they might supply Paul's needs and especially to prop up this man in the work of the gospel. No one, it says, came together quite like the Philippians did in supporting Paul's ministry. Even when he was visiting other churches, it was the Philippians who were holding the ropes for Paul's ministry. They were supporting, they were encouraging him. Now we might think, man, Philippi must have had deep pockets. They must have had that kind of money where they could just keep supporting the Apostle Paul and that he only needed this one church to be able to do his work. Well, listen to what Paul says about the Macedonians or the Philippians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Kids, do the math there. Abundance of joy and extreme poverty equals a wealth of generosity. That's what the Philippians were like. He continues on in 2 Corinthians 8 by saying, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part, there's that idea of partnership, taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. They weren't wealthy, far from it. But oh, were they generous. They took to heart Jesus' teaching about the widow and her two coins. She was that one who gave all that she had out of the abundance of her own poverty to support the work of the words. Obviously, the Philippians had calculated that giving was far better than receiving. That in terms of the ministry of the gospel, they had made a secure investment in eternal things. 
I wonder if some of you have made a similar calculation. Could someone one day write on your gravestone, here lies a cheerful giver. It is more blessed to give than to receive, or perhaps of someone else. Here lies a cheerful giver. She laid up her treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Philippi was exemplary in these matters, prompting Paul to overflow in gratitude for this partnership that he had begun with them. But Paul's not done here. He wants to make an even more substantial statement about their generosity. He's not so interested in the quantity of their giving, but in the true spiritual quality of their generosity. Their generosity was to the praise of the glory of Christ. That's what brings Paul joy. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul says, yes, you have taken care of my needs, but it's not the gift that I'm after. It's seeing God's people give unto God's glory. That's what Paul loves to see. That's what he approves and commends about these Philippians. And what Paul notices most is that there's a certain aroma that is coming off of the Philippians, a sacrifice that is pleasing and acceptable to God. I heard a story from Sinclair Ferguson about the times following the rationing during World War II Uh, that obviously during that rationing period, there was uh, very little milk in the UK. And so after the rationing had ended, uh, somewhere along the way, school officials decided that uh, British people need to drink more milk. And so it was required each and every day for the students to begin their day by drinking a big glass of milk. And apparently, uh, several years later, a a Japanese... um, news article was published that said, why do British people smell like milk? And Ferguson says, I think I know why. Well, the truth of the gospel is that it is putting off an aroma. There should be a certain smell that uh, proceeds from our lives that uh, results in praise and glory to Jesus Christ. This is what Paul notices about the Philippians, their generosity, Their focus upon the kingdom of our Lord, their seeking first that kingdom, had brought much praise and glory to Jesus Christ. You know, the Father smiles on His children when they give generously to the work of the gospel. That's what Paul's saying here, that it's pleasing to the nose of God. It's a wonderful smell. It's a perfume that is attractive in this world. Well, we, have, we all have an aroma that we are putting out by the way that we live. Would others say that your aroma flows off in praise to Jesus Christ? Or would it be that stench of discontentment that so often marks our lives? Well, Paul continues by reassuring the Philippians that their generosity is backed 
by all of the resources found in glory in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, you've supplied my needs from the depth of your poverty. My God will supply your every need according to his riches. It's a wonderful promise. Of course, this is a text that's been misused by health and wealth preachers to uh, give the false idea that if you give a little bit of seed money, uh, that it will return back tenfold. That if you give to some ministry, uh, you will see all of this money uh, come back to you in this life. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying this is a get-quick-rich scheme. No, he's saying that the Lord is not going to leave you in danger. He's going to provide for your needs. And why can I say that to you, Philippians? Well, he's done the same thing to me. He's provided for me time and time again. But of course, it's an even better assurance than the temporary needs that we have in this life. What Paul's assuring them with is of eternal significance. You know, the thousands of ways that the Lord provides for each and every one of us here is just a taste of the kind of generosity that we'll experience in the new heavens and the new earth. As heaven's storehouses are filled to the brim, waiting to be released upon Zion's children. That's the promise that awaits us in Jesus Christ. Each blessing we, we give to the gospel's work in this life will be met with the commendation from Christ's riches. Solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. This is the currency that we deal in as Christians, backed up by the glory laid up in Christ Jesus. And it's this promise that moves Paul to burst and praise, praise once again, as he's often done in this letter, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. There's gratitude in Christ. There's glory that is in Christ. And then lastly, we want to see the grace that is in Christ. One of the other things that I really appreciated about the Twin Lakes Fellowship was just seeing pastors and faithful men that share a like mind in ministry from all of over the world. Now, there were men that I met from Florida all the way up to Alaska, uh, men from New Jersey all the way down to Arizona, and even if you extend that uh, to the globe, there were men from France and from the UK all the way to China and Malawi. And it's always an important thing to remember that there are saints all throughout the earth. It's an encouraging reminder that the gospel is going forth as Jesus promised. And that's what Paul wants to do here with the Philippians in his closing words of this book. Look at verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Did you catch it? The grace of our Lord Jesus knows no limit. He has his elect all throughout the earth. And even in the most unlikely of places, Caesar's very own household. 
I mean, think about how astounding that would have been to the hearers on that day when they read this letter. That Christ has his people, even in Nero's palace, even in that place where we think is the fountain of all opposition to the gospel, there is Christ's elect. So Paul's encouraging them that the gospel is going forth. All of your generosity that I am so grateful for is supplying the work of the gospel and it is having success. And as he mentioned earlier in the letter, you remember that Paul says that it's, even, it's actually because of his imprisonment that the gospel has gone throughout the imperial guard that all had heard the name of Jesus Christ and, and many were all the more encouraged to speak the, the word without fear. The Lord often surprises us in his works. He often brings people from the most unlikely of places. Their grateful generosity had supplied the needs of Paul, and now they get to hear from saints all throughout the earth of what they will hear on the day of glory. Men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation praising our Lord Jesus Christ partly because they had given to Paul. What a partnership that would be to take part in. And so Paul completes his thank you letter by pronouncing upon them a benediction from Jesus Christ. Look at verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your your spirit. What a partnership in the gospel. You know, I can't but help think that the Philippians, these Macedonian believers, had probably the dearest relationship with the Apostle Paul. He had a unique relationship with this group of believers. You can recall from the book of Acts that it all began with a few unlikely converts. Lydia, who was this wealthy businesswoman, Of course, that Philippian jailer and his entire household was that core group that started the church. Even that girl that was a slave because of her spirit of divination. This is what started the work of ministry in that local region. And of course, Paul, all throughout his letter, is encouraging them. Speaking to them as if they were his very own children. That they are his pride and joy. And he says even at the beginning of chapter 4 that they are his joy and crown. What a wonderful relationship that we see here between Paul and these Philippians. And I want to close uh, the remaining, remaining few moments by just bringing out a few summary lessons that we learn from these Philippians, these faithful saints who gave out of uh, the, their own wealth of poverty their own generosity. What was God doing in them that was bringing much praise and glory to Jesus Christ? And so I have only four lessons I want to close that we too might be a joy and crown church. First, we must be growing in humility. Perhaps there's no single note that should sound forth from the church than that of humility. The world loves to boast in their own accomplishments, their own achievements, their own children, their own giftings, their own strength, 
But what is it that we boast in? What are we known for? If someone met us uh, just walking along the street, could they tell what we boast in? Is it in our own achievements? Or is it in Jesus Christ? Of course, Paul drives that point home by turning our eyes to the humility of Jesus Christ who took on flesh, who became a servant, humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross for our life and salvation. Paul wanted to see humility continue to grow in the Philippians. And that must be our desire as well, that we have a pronounced sense of humility and that we are always calling upon people to look to Jesus Christ, not to ourselves. So we must be growing in humility. But secondly, we must be gripped by joy. And Paul uses the words for joy and rejoicing 16 times throughout this little letter. And that's what he wanted to see in this church. True joy. He already started to see it by the way that they gave to him and their faithfulness in the ministry. But he says it time and time again. Rejoice in the Lord, always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, kids, have you ever thought about how the Bible actually gives you a command to be joyful? That's like the Bible saying to each and every one of us, you must eat cookies every single day. That's a remarkable command that God actually wants his children to be joyful. Yes, of course, in the light of all of the circumstances we might face in life, that there are difficulties and hardships. But don't we have every reason for joy? Our sins forgiven, a family of faith that we've been brought into, and an inheritance that is better than anything we find on this earth. We must be gripped by joy. And thirdly, we must be grounded in heaven. Paul's entire outlook was based on this truth. And he says it to the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. Yes, many are boasting in their Macedonian citizenship. Yes, Philippi is an arrogant city that boasts in themselves. But would you boast in heaven? Would you look towards your true and everlasting home, heaven? Would you be citizens of that divine city, the new Jerusalem? And would you inherit that happy land ruled by our King and Lord, Jesus Christ. You know, Samuel Rutherford, who has been quoted before here, said in one of his letters on the eternal weight of glory, what better and wiser course can you take than to think that your one foot is here and your other foot in the life to come? That's how we should be as Christians. One foot here on earth, Of course, being faithful in our daily activities that God is calling us to, but always one foot in heaven where our true citizenship lies. And then fourthly, we must gain Jesus Christ. You know, Philippians 3, 7 through 8 could almost be taken as Paul's memoirs about his own life. He says, whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That's Paul's one ambition for his own life. 
That's Paul's ambition for the lives of the Philippians. And that's the Lord's ambition for each and every one of us, that we might gain Jesus Christ. There's one thing that we press on towards. It's that upward call of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Because you can take all of your works, you can take everything that you have in your life, and what is it if you haven't gained Jesus Christ? But if you have gained Jesus Christ, Paul says, then you have humility. Then you have joy. And then you have heaven itself. So whatever we do, we must work to the glory of Christ. We must gain Jesus Christ. Because if we have gained him, then all of life's sorrows, all of the difficulties that we face, will not compare to our first night, welcome home in heaven. Let's pray. And Father, we are thankful for this little book that yields so much truth for our own souls. Lord, we thank you that you have pointed us towards joy, that you have given us a reason for gratitude. And Lord, we do pray that you would make these things so in us. And Lord, we do call upon you to give us your grace and your spirit that we may live to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.